Welcome to Oncology Morning Commute, shifting treatment sequences in the relapsed or refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma landscape. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from ADC Therapeutics America, Incorporated. In the final episode of our series, Dr. Paolo Cami and Dr. Juan Alteruccio discuss the changing treatment landscape for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. With more and more options, the paradigm is shifting, and that's the good news. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash B-cell3. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Cami is on staff in the Department of Hematology and Oncology at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Alderuccio is an associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center in Miami, Florida. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Cami will begin our discussion. Dr. Alderuccio, welcome back. In our last podcast, we discussed antibody drug conjugate agents and other agents uh, for relapse diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. As we get increasing amounts of data on these therapies, our treatment landscape is changing. We'll talk about that. So I think probably the, the, the biggest change that we're expecting to see, we already had the big change uh, at the beginning introduction of CAR-Ts in the early relapse uh, and refractory setting. I think that's a, probably one of the major landscape changes that we've seen in the last 10 years for different therapies lymphoma, maybe longer. And I think the question now is, when or whether, right, I think it's expected to see an approval for the combination of polatuzumab and ARD-CHP uh, for the frontline treatment of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Um, how do you see these, these changes um, in, in treatment of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma for the frontline as well as for your subsequent choices of treatment? How will that affect your trial design, et cetera? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think if a patient was treated in the frontline setting with uh, polatuzumab-based um, regimen, I would probably don't use it again in the second-line setting. I think in that, um, if the choice would be a clinical trial, and if a clinical trial uh, will not be available also, CAR-T as we, we discussed, but if the patient is not eligible for uh, transplant CAR-T or a clinical trial, I think um, the um, two drugs that uh, probably we, we, I would consider uh, Tafacitamab LEN that was up, approved in this setting, uh, and eventually Longastoximab if that has been approved after two lines of therapy. Um, there are several phase three clinical trials that are currently testing this drug in combination with other agents. Uh, for example, uh, a trial comparing tafacitamab LEN plus a bispecific versus uh, tafacitamab lenalidomide, and also the LORIS-5 uh, clinical trial that is comparing the, effect, the efficacy of longastuximab versus uh, RCHEMOS. So I think this uh, trial has have the potential to move some of these agents to earlier phases of the treatment of treatment lines. Uh, however, also this, there are uh, many other agents that may become approved in the short term, specifically the biospecifics. I think the biospecific 
will change how we approach and how we treat these patients in the in the very close near future. I'm you know in complete agreement. I think that the you know you choose you have to choose with whatever the patient got before. I I think that I don't think I was expecting to see this much change in such a short time. Yeah. Um, and it's been um, fun uh, and a challenge to see how rapidly we're probably going to be changing our frontline therapy, uh, whether we do it for every patient. My suspicion is that you know, this after 20 years of not necessarily failed phase three trials, I think every phase three trial that was done in the last 20 years that wasn't able to beat our shop wasn't a failure, but it's really kind of a movement towards progress to say, A, we actually need better drugs uh, because some of the drugs are probably not as active, but B, we need better trial design to be able to find out uh, how we can truly impact the patients with diffuse starch piece and lymphoma that, that may get the biggest benefit from a more intense or, or more targeted therapy like the, with the addition of polatuzumab. Um, but I also think that if B, it takes a thousand patients to demonstrate you can beat the frontline standard, right? You cannot do it with a 200 patient trial. And C, it's uh, it's probably not the last one. I, I think that, you know, we're not going to have 20 years of polar CHP as the only standard. We're going to start seeing a, a barrage of different uh, of different trials uh, uh, that are hopefully going to be positive. Yeah, all, all of these agents are also being tested, can be tested in uh, frontline setting. Frontline using longastuximab, using tafacitamab, lenalinomide, and using bispecifics. So as single agent or as uh, in combination with uh, CHOP chemotherapy, immunochemotherapy backbone. So um, yeah, it's going to change very fast. And we just learned about bispecific at ASH 2020. Yeah, so it's just only two years ago. Very rapid. I think that that's the that's one of the things that it's kind of moving in a much higher speed. I, I, I think I I stole this phrase from somebody, but I, I think we were living in at least in diffuse starch piece and lymphoma, living in a linear world, right? We went chop, ice, transplant, and then whatever you have yeah. to now having you know more than one. So going to a matrix, right? You're going to you have a multi multitude of different things, uh, uh, and how you choose that's kind of the next thing. How do you choose your front line? It's probably a subject for a different podcast, right? But yeah. um, it, it'll be interesting to see how do we get to select this patient, and then if we treat patient with one of these new targeted agents, right? I think we already touched it a little bit. What are we going to do with the patient gets polatuzumab in front line? We're probably not going to do the subsequent line, but what happens when, when the front line also includes tafacitamab? Are you going to do the subsequent or longastuximab, right? Uh, and, and the problem, for example, I think the particular issue that has longastuximab is that it targets CD19, which is a target that is uh, shared with CAR-Ts, right? I think that although we think CD19 loss is not a common event, we always worry about that. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern uh, about the use of in early phases of uh, longastuximab because of the potential cure of uh, CAR-T cells. So right. uh, that may be an issue. And the problem is we don't have good biomarkers to predict outcome in these diseases. There's some emerging data using 
PET-CT biomarkers like metabolic tumor volume, but we don't have uh, the trees that we don't have uh, good and validated and clinical and routine practice biomarkers that we tell us uh, what are the chances of a patient to um, respond to one specific therapy over the other. That's the big challenge and that's what is creating this confusion. I agree. I think, I mean, I think that that's probably the the next step for, for therapeutics is going to be kind of the development in the diagnostics and the predictive diagnostic tests uh, so that we can select treatments based on uh, what will benefit the patient most, particularly when we have not just one novel agent, but several novel agents into the front line. Uh, and I think you know, maybe for Lonka, right, or for uh, uh, other drugs that target CD19, like Tafacitamab, the emergence of non-anti-CD19 cars that are being tested, yeah. either CD20 uh, targeting that are already being tested in trials or other targets, uh, or off-the-shelf uh, CAR-Ts, yeah. um, whether that will change whether you can use long cut front uh, and without concerns because you're going to ha- target a different a different uh, surface marker. So I think it's it's definitely a changing treatment where you actually or a diff- treatment landscape where you're actually not just changing front line, you're changing your second line, and and with the new approvals of both cars moving up to the front to the earlier phases to the initial re- relapse, it kind of opens up the third line, right? And I think that. Um, that's where whether we can actually improve on cars uh, on the second line, uh, have other ages. It's, it's just becoming definitely more complicated. I, I'm not complaining about it, right? A lot of people will think that we're complaining, but it's like just it's it's an it's definitely an era of uh, lots of abundance. A good problem, and actually, patients that they used to have a very poor prognosis that are the patients that progress after CAR T by specific has been shown very ex- excellent uh, responses in this uh, hard-to-treat population. A single agent or, for example, the combination of mosonotuzumab with polatuzumab, they show very good response in this setting. So I think the biospecific will definitely change the landscape once approved. Um, the question is where they will fit uh, in the long term is in the in the more in the front line or in the in the relapse setting. I agree. I think diving a little bit more into that, how do you think um, we'll manage the relapse of uh, after car? I mean, I think we have a, a significant number of patients are relapsed early after a car. Uh, you know, patients not responding or having an, a problems in the first year. Um, how do you manage them now? How do you manage them? How do you expect to be uh, able to manage them in the next maybe two to five years? So right now, um, we um, I try to enroll those patients in uh, mosonotuzumab polatuzumab trial, and I think also epcoritamab a simulation has been shown also very good responses in this population. I think we will need to see how long those responses last. We don't have long-term follow-up data in this with bi-specifics. So uh, I think that will be the, that's the, the question right now, how long those patients will achieve their responses. Do we need to consolidate with something else afterwards? Probably no, but we don't know. Um, that's how, um, I, that's my, my approach uh, right now. Um, and how we will treat, uh, I think the beauty of the bi-specific is that are off-the-shelf therapies and we'll be able to be providing at any uh, any clinic without 
the complexity of the uh, academic centers. So um, then I'm sure that at some point we will start to have trials comparing uh, these compounds with cellular products. I, I think it's interesting in part how the introduction of these new treatments, just not only ADCs that are coming, uh, bispecifics, CAR-Ts that are coming, how they're starting to open maybe different areas of research, right? I think before we were thinking, what is your salvage therapy? What is your third line regimen? Now I think we haven't really explored with significant focus, well, what is the right bridging regimen, right? Um, or should we, like we talked in, in I think in our first podcast, uh, should we be exploring, uh, is there a, debulking strategy prior to collection? Um, should we be giving a, 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 an immune stimulant like a PD-1, lenalidomide or something else prior to collecting T cells? Uh, I think a lot of us see uh, preclinical data suggesting that combination with targeted agents maybe may, make sense, but I don't think it's an area that we fully explored kind of in a large scale in clinical trials. And I think that the question is, do we have adjuvants that are better? Um, for CAR-T, so like maintenance post-CAR-T, or is something that you can actually rescue CAR-T afterwards. So it, it's, it's a, I mean, we talked about how the landscape changes how you treat it, but I think for clinical researchers, uh, it's, it's just the, are there new questions to start to ask? Yeah, patient that is progressing after frontline, we don't know that the chances of a patient with primary refractory disease and progression of disease to frontline therapy those patients may not respond well to CAR-T. Uh, we know that uh, elevated LDH at the time of uh, collection is has been associated with, is a marker of worse outcome. Yeah. So maybe um, by specific may fit in the setting and can be a good uh, bridge therapy to cons- for subsequent CAR-T. Yeah, or, or consolidation with something else. Or I think that the, the Zuma 12 data, although I think it has some, caveats, right? Knowing that it's it's just positive PET, not necessarily fully refractory, but at least from what what seems to have been the case is the majority of patients were truly refractory to our job, which is the kind of patient that we tend to think, you know, that I usually say that's the kind of patient that really keeps me awake at night. And I think that the, at least the, the, the T-cell subpopulations and, and the high response rates suggest that um, those patients may be more prone to respond well to immunotherapies, right? Whether that use T cells. Uh, And I think a a bispecific would make a lot of sense there. Uh, Although whether it's in combination with with chemotherapy, maybe you use something that is less toxic for T cells than cyclophosphamide, for example. I think we also haven't explored, you know, is, I think it's, Initial, valid, initial validation of the studies, how flu psi was important for CAR T cell persistence, but are the doses correct? Uh, are, we, are we using too little? I think maybe, is that one of the reasons why, why T cell performed a little bit worse? Maybe one of them. Um, so I think we haven't, there's, there's a lot of areas that I think we haven't really explored as clinical researchers in lymphoma that we could start asking questions about how we can improve it. We haven't even talked about sequencing, right? I think that sequencing different drugs can also be um, maybe more active in the long-term and achieve long-term disease control. 
Yeah, the, the issue with sequencing is um, once you start a trial, uh, when you finish the trial, probably that information may be all in this setting. Yeah. Because Correct. with so many new, uh, so what will be the frontline the standard of care in two or three years? Uh, so we don't know if we will continue to be RCHOP, maybe polatuzumab with CHP, or maybe with another compound. So that's I think that's the challenge. How do you think will be the sequence? So think of it just yeah, a year from now, a polar chop is selected and you're treating somebody with polar chop. Um, you see somebody, you give them the, you give them Polarix, and then how will you, how do you think that will change your, your sequence? How will you use, you know, we'll talk about Lonka, how will you use staff? Do you think will change a lot how you selected it like you did before? Yeah, I think we um, probably, I will not use uh, polatuzumab and damascene rituximab uh, again. So I will um, select. Uh, the problem is you don't want, if the patient will go in for CAR-T, there are some concerns to targeting CD19. So I will probably don't use longastuximab or tafacitamab before CAR-T because of that concern. I, I agree with you that the the downregulation of CD19 is not the main uh, mechanism of resist resistance for CAR-T. However, as this is a potentially curable therapy, you don't want to eventually take that risk. So um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think probably by specifics will fit very well in that setting as bridge therapy for CAR-T. And the question that will come later on, if we still need to do CAR-T, if they, we, we start to see mature data with biospecific, that patients, they, that survival data remains to be good as it is right now. So the question will be, if we still need to do use CAR-T in that setting. Yeah, I think that that's, I mean, that the, the emergence of polatuzumab in frontline kind of closes the window of that bridging use of yeah. polatuzumab somewhat, right? I think... I think that the argument uh, that you that you make is really important about using CD19 targeting agents prior to CARS. And I think uh, probably one of our responsibilities as clinical researchers is, is we need to define whether we can sequence. I mean, we've both published in this, right, with the LONCA study. We, uh, in, in, before CAR-T, you can use LONCA, the responses are there, and you can lose LONCA after um, my suspicions that you that the people who have used tafacitamab have seen it before and after CAR T. Uh, I think that as a as a community of people who do research in lymphoma, we need to define whether we can do these, so we can decide whether we should be using these drugs before or not, and not just doing it on a theoretical basis. I think that kind of maintaining these these things can do theoretical. It it prevents us from using that something that could really help the patient. Um, I think our initial impression was that. Sure, you actually can salvage people with CAR-T after LONCA and you can salvage people failing CAR-T uh, with LONCA, uh, maybe with a TAFA-based combination that can be possible. So sequencing 19 agents is, is an opportunity, but we need to figure out who, what, where, right? I think that's very important. Yeah, I think we need more data in this specific setting because it's a very important question. Maybe uh, this agent can be, be used uh, early on and will not affect the efficacy of the of CAR-T's. So I, I think it's a very important question. Yeah, I think that, I think that we probably may be affected quite a bit by the maybe more 
more relevant data in ALL where CD19 is a little bit more frequent. Uh, and I think that concern is there. But I think we, we probably should be you know, answering it with data and see new nowhere so that we can start considering these agents uh, because the landscape will change as we've been kind of repeatedly saying. And I think the the first thing change that we'll see is that we'll start discussing what well, can we use POLA in these early refractory patients for whom we previously used it for, um, for kind of bridging into cars. And, yeah. and I think that's the additional discussion is, you know, should we be uh, finding more effective regimes for that underserved group of people who have rapid progressing disease um, and I think that that loss of the polar use there will kind of force our hand um, mm-hmm. to say we need to find something better because like polar is not available anymore it wasn't that robust to start with uh, and we can't use benda like we did so I think we or can like we already didn't so what are we going to use for um, for bridging people to car um, I think as a more conclusion, what do you think is, what is really exciting you in the horizon? We talked about by specifics, what else is there that you're kind of interested in? I think the combination of these agents, I think uh, these agents, all of these agents as a single therapies have demonstrated important responses. I think with the, with the combination, we will be able to encase hopefully that response. I think the challenge will be toxicities. Um, so, because uh, it may be an overlap of toxicities and um, some of these patients may not be so easy to combine with chemotherapy backbone. So maybe, I think uh, in the, maybe in the near future, we will be able to treat patients without uh, chemotherapy backbones, but we still need to be sure that the problem I think with, we know that we can cure 60% of the patients with RCHOP. So you want, we want to make sure that we are able to keep in, uh, those patients will achieve remissions for, for a long time. So, but I think in the near future, hopefully we will be able to cure many of these patients without chemotherapy. And I think on that really optimistic note, we'll give Dr. Andalucho the last word and thank you very much. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash bcell3. Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services, or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.